Welcome to The Good Divorce Show, where we can help you learn how to navigate the journey of divorce with less conflict, less debt, and equip you not to just get divorced, but also learn how to be divorced. Your host, certified divorce coach Karen McNenny, shares her wealth of knowledge, gets advice from other relationship experts, and interviews couples who learn how to have a good divorce, so you can too. Now here's your host, Karen. Hello, listeners, and welcome to The Good Divorce Show. I am your good divorce coach, Karen McNenny. And today is a rare experience. And, you know, after 40 episodes of the show, it only seems fair and appropriate that I bring a little more of my own story and my own journey of divorce, which many of you who have been listening know that I am a survivor of a good divorce. And so with me today, I have my daughter, Sophia. Hi. Hi. Glad to be here. Welcome to the show. This was not premeditated from the beginning of the show, but I've always wondered in the back of my mind whether or not um, our own family would talk a little bit about our story and the journey. And there's been so many guests that have come on the show who have really graciously shared their personal precious private um, story. Of course, we only highlight the good stuff here because we want to remind people and create an illustrative story that divorce doesn't have to be destructive and full of despair. And I now have proof as my 18 year old daughter sits here, she's not in jail. (laughs) She's made it to college. She's gainfully employed and she has a smile on her face. Congratulations on surviving as a child of divorce, Sophia. Thanks, mom. We're we're thriving for sure. <laughs> you 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 say that in that sort of sarcastic way, but I would say, as your parent, that you and your brother are both very much thriving, and your father and I are very proud. So, take us back in time to what you do remember, even of the core. Well, okay, maybe we should first do the setup. Dad and I met. We were set up on a blind date. Mm-hmm. Five months later, we got engaged. Four months later, we were married. Nine months later, we conceived you. And then, of course, you came into the world nine months after that. And then when you were nine months old, we conceived your brother, Patrick. And then, of course, he showed up nine months later. Right. And um, in total, uh, we lived in the same house for seven years as a family, just over seven years. Mm -hmm. And this month, um, October, 2023 marks the 12 year anniversary since our family became one family that lives across two homes, Mm -hmm. which pretty much marks your entire school life from first grade through 12th grade. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So that's, that's the lead up what do you remember of the family and the family home and the four of us together? Um, let's just start there. Um, yeah. I mean, our family home in the rattlesnake, I remember Raymond, um, obviously and to clarify the rattlesnake <laughs> is the name of the Valley because there's a Creek that's very wiggly, like a rattlesnake. We didn't actually live with rattlesnakes for those right. that are good, local. Good to clarify, good to clarify. Um, the rattlesnake in Missoula Um, and yeah, our childhood home, my memories, um, obviously I still have memories of that house, but it was a long time ago. Like you said, it was just the first seven years of my life. So, you know, some of the specifics have gotten lost, but I remember 
you know, doing things as a family, of course, the tag along train. Yes, we had a bike uh, that then also had um, a trailer and and then a, a bike for you. Like there was a whole a whole bike, a thing. whole bike thing. So very that, connected, very connected, really fun. We did lots of bike rides as a family. We had a big backyard. Mm-hmm. We adopted two little kittens, Sparky yep. and Rocky. Rocky and Sparky, who are here with us. Still with us here today. Still with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, there's not a ton of like specific memories of of that house or that time, I guess. I mean, I remember um I think divorce was never something I ever really expected at that point. Like obviously I was a kid and kind of oblivious to whatever as kids are so it was never really an expectation that I had so it definitely came as a surprise but um did you have friends who were divorced like yeah did you understand the concept at that age or what do you think you understood I think my understanding was was limited I mean I obviously I grew that understanding and gained that understanding when you and dad got divorced. Um, and I definitely had friends though. And uh, there were, there were a lot of people very close to me at that age that also had parents who were going through divorces at that time. So it wasn't necessarily foreign, but it was definitely unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. And do you remember what you knew about those other divorces and kind of the story in your head about divorce? My best friend in kindergarten, Shaylee, um, we were attached at the hip and her parents had been divorced for as long as she could remember, I think. And her, I remember her dad lived in San Diego and she lived in Missoula with her mom. And obviously we went to the same school in the rattlesnake. Um, But yeah, her dad lived in San Diego and she'd tell me about how her mom would take her to the airport and this kindergartner would travel across the country alone to visit her dad and they would have screaming matches and you know it was a very like toxic thing in my mind um so that was kind of at least my first my first idea of what maybe divorce looked like yeah and we had another um family friends I'll leave them unnamed and they also had a pretty high conflict divorce and the parents were not very cooperative. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I was watching the same thing as a parent. I was watching these families that were really destructive and unhappy. And yeah. it just absolutely ripped my heart to imagine that. And I thought, I can't stay in this marriage, but I certainly cannot be enemies with your dad. Yeah. And I don't want my children to suffer at the hands of divorce. So we did the best we could with what we had available. And part of why I've started this podcast is to help families to know that it can look different and it can be different. Absolutely. So do you remember when we told you? Yes, I definitely do. And um, I mean, like I said, some of the specifics get lost, but I remember um, you and dad sitting us down on the couch at our our house, our family home, Raymond, and, you know, saying we're getting a divorce. And at that point, that word was still very like unfamiliar. I didn't know what that meant. Mm -hmm. And obviously you went on to kind of explain that the best that you could, 
which I don't know, maybe you remember more of the specifics of exactly what you told us at oh, that I point. I remember every word. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't, honestly. Um, but I know Patrick and I were just kind of surprised and confused. I remember you talking about dad moving out and this idea of two homes and we get to have another bunk bed, you know, so that was kind of exciting. Like there were aspects that were, you know, it's, it's something kind of new. It could be, it could be exciting, but it's also just kind of was confusing. And like I, I said before, not anything I had really expected up to that point it right. came as a surprise, which I mean, I had seen, I feel like I had seen conflict as a lot as like is inevitable, like kids see that. So I had seen conflict, but it's not something that, that I had ever processed at that age. Mm-hmm. And that I'd ever thought about like any right. more com- complexly. Sure. You're six years old. Yeah. <laughs> and you bicker with your brother and your mom and dad bicker. Exactly. And you bicker with friends at school and <clears throat> and we try to protect you from those things. But right. It's but it inevitable happens. and yeah. it's part of what happens. What you might not know is that your dad and I, once we made the decision, it was weeks before we told you mm-hmm. because we first told the grandparents and the aunts and uncles. And then we told the parents of all your closest friends Mm. so that when they heard that our family was getting a divorce, that then they would be able to process that with their own children. We went to the school and spoke to the school counselor and your teacher in person. We went together. We went to the preschool where your brother was and sat down with those teachers. So we created this whole infrastructure and safety net so that if you did get wobbly or were having big feelings or were uncertain or behavior was changing in any way, mm-hmm. the people closest to you and around you would would be ready to hold you when neither of us could be there to do it with you. Yeah. I I, I definitely was not aware of that at the time at all, but I think you've you've mentioned that before. And I think that's a good support system to have mm-hmm. just in case. I mean, he, well, yeah. You know, if someone had died in the family, we would have told your teacher and told family members and that you might see Sophia having bigger feelings or outbursts or who knows what. Um, we just wanted to be as prepared as possible. Mm-hmm. So then we also, once we did all that, then we had to sit down and tell you guys, which was a conversation I was dreading. I kind of get a little sick in my stomach. It sort of grips my heart right now. And I feel a little tearful thinking about it because it's it's just not a conversation you ever want to have with your children. And I know so many of our listeners and so many parents who just dread that day. However, <laughs> if you are intentional and you plan for it, it doesn't have to be such a train wreck So your dad and I sat down and we talked about kind of, we almost like wrote a script out, like who's going to start and what are we going to say and how would we answer their questions? And then we had a little practice rehearsal because of course we did. Of course, of course. (laughs) This is an important message. If you have a really important message, you should write it out and practice it. Definitely be thoughtful about it. Yeah. And also as an adult, figure out how you're going to manage your emotions so that they don't just become the emotions of the child. And we were all tearful, but we sat together very snugly. Yes. And 
Um, I think Patrick was even a little more confused of like what that meant. We could tell it was really abstract to him. Yes, I would I would agree with that. And, and you had mentioned the bunk bed. So one of the things that dad and I decided is that we needed to know what the second home was going to be, where the second home was going to be, because that was going to be the first question. Like, where are we moving who's like, what does this mean? Mm-hmm. And, and reminding our listeners that what it means to an adult is very different than what it means to a child. And I remember Patrick saying like, Oh, I'm going to need two toothbrushes and two bottles of vitamins. <laughs> right. That's yeah. what was a big deal. So your dad had located a condominium so that he would at least have a place in the immediate interim to to move to until he found a really a permanent home, which eventually he did. But for six months, he moved to what we referred to as number nine. Mm-hmm. And our family home was Raymond. Why, why did you call our family home Raymond? Well, I feel like, I mean, I don't know when we adopted this um, idea of referring to the homes by their street names, but I think it was really when we first moved into two homes because now there were two homes to talk about. So it wasn't just, you know, home's house or dad's house. It was Raymond and number nine or Raymond and Gilbert or Lily and Gilbert. That's right. And then dad moved on to Gilbert street and I eventually moved to Lily. And so now we have Gilbert and Lily Mm -hmm. and we were intentional. It just occurred to me that I didn't want the houses to feel possessive, that it was a mom's house and a dad's house which meant the kids really didn't belong anywhere. We wanted them to belong to the two of you and to be identified as a a family home, not a mom house and a dad house. Mm. And I still make that recommendation to my clients that I'm coaching that these little subtle choices can really have an effect. And we never wanted you to feel like you were a guest at your mom's house or your dad's house. We wanted the home to feel like yours. The other thing, once we knew number nine was there, oh, well, I should ask, do you have any opinion about that now? Does that make sense? About, well, yeah. I mean, that's a different perspective. I mean, I, I know that's kind of what we've always done is, is referring to it by the street name. And I've, I've always felt like that was, that was a good thing for us, but I, I didn't really know any more of the context behind that, but I think that's philosophy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really great. And I think that definitely served its purpose. Mm Mm-hmm. And still today. Yep. Still today. <laughs> Lily and Gilbert. So we we found a set of bunk beds that would go to the new house. And we decided that would be the transitional object, which is probably another behind the scenes process that you were yeah. unaware of that we wanted to immediately connect something exciting and something new to look forward to in the new home. So we went and bought these bunk beds and your dad and I kept all our money together until we were in two houses. We made the commitment that it was a shared responsibility to fully furnish and provide for our children in both homes. And that that was a responsible, a financial responsibility that sat on both our shoulders. So we did get these great bunk beds and we, they were in the garage. I remember this. Yeah. (laughs) What, what do you remember? So we had sat down and we had told you we're getting a divorce and then, and then new bunk beds and it was exciting. And we went out to the garage and we looked at them 
you're like, you know, you're going to have these, this new bunk bed in your new home. And it was exciting. And you were picking the top and there was a little desk, which you were very excited about because you've always been studious. And (laughs) and there was a ladder and Patrick was excited to climb. Mm -hmm. And you remember your dad and I looking at each other with just like this relief that we had, we had finally said it like we, the hard thing was over that we could see the excitement in all of you. And and I guess that's one piece that I would say to our listeners that when you sit down and plan to do this talk, not only know how you're going to begin it, but also know how you're going to end it, have an exit strategy. Are you going um, for a meal? Are you going on a walk? And our exit strategy was off to the garage to see the new bunk beds, which mm-hmm. indeed ended up at number nine. Mm-hmm. And then at Gilbert, we had those bunk beds for a long time. <laughs> yeah, they stuck with you until you both outgrew them, basically. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those disjoining, I am chatting today with my daughter, Sophia, who is now 18 and has lived across two homes for 12 years, the entirety of her education time, and now lives on campus in a dorm and gets to be in one location all <laughs> the time. So when we come back from the break, we'll hear perspective from an adult child of divorce on what transition and life in two homes is like. Please stay with us. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you thinking about getting divorced? Before you call a lawyer, call the good divorce coach, Karen McNenny, a certified divorce counselor, co-parenting specialist, and mediator. Karen's signature good divorce experience will guide you through your divorce journey from the day you make that difficult decision to the day the decree is signed, all for a predictable fee. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to get divorced and be divorced with less conflict and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Join us on the Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast as we delve into the world of living a luxurious lifestyle as a successful entrepreneur. Our discussions will cover essential topics such as the significance of networking in business, relationship building, leadership, spirituality, luxury travel, empowerment, healthy living, and personal development. We will also talk about how you can leverage your attractive lifestyle and heal and reinvent your life by managing other factors such as mental health, stress, time, and much more. The Luxury Lifestyle Blueprint Podcast, hosted by B. Baylor, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNenny. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back. I am here chatting today with my daughter, Sophia, who is now crossed over as uh, an adult child of divorce. And she has been gracious enough to bring her story and her experience to the podcast. 
And I'll have to say, I'm more nervous today than I have been for any other interview, because I think it really puts me on the line. You know, did I, did I practice what we preach here on the good divorce show? And surely I got it wrong at least once, at at (laughs) least, um, and you know, we didn't know what we were doing. So, but we, we always said, we try to just give you the normal dose of getting screwed up by your parents, not the extra double dose by <laughs> divorced parents. Yeah. Well, I think you did a pretty good job. Okay. Thanks. Just before the break, we had talked a little bit about um, learning about the divorce, what that meant, what it was going to mean, and then started a life from first grade, really pretty much age seven. Um, you have lived across two homes until just recently when you went off to college and you mm-hmm. now live in one dorm room. Yeah. <laughs> so we may um, come back to that. In general, what would you say to parents about transitioning and that experience for kids and what makes it easy and what makes it hard? I mean, it it depends. That's probably a lame answer, but I think what worked best for our family is we had we had systems, we had the boomerang folder and we had bins and we, we had, you know, designated transition days, um, which started with, you know, three days at a time. So the week was split up and it was, it was always equal. It was always 50, 50 with our family, which I think was important to us to have equal time. But, um, but the boomerang folder, um, yeah, talk a little (laughs) bit about these systems. So, uh, yep. The boomerang folder. I don't even know how you it, don't even know how. Well, I, I think I invented I, it. I, I mean, think I, that was your invention. I'm a systems kind of girl. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, we were, we were going back and forth and we're in school and there's lots of things to keep track of and the boomerang folder. And I think the, the name, which I believe you also coined coined was you know just because we were kind of going back and forth like a boomerang Mm -hmm. um and that was just a way to put like you know assignments or like a good report card or something to send over with the kids to the other parent so that you were getting the necessary information from that week or whatever it might be homework assignments and especially when we were young i think that was really artwork yeah yeah and um yeah announcements from teachers Mm -hmm. Uh, getting to see work. And if we were transitioning midweek, we wanted to make sure the other parent had the information they needed. Uh, and then eventually you started to decorate the boomerang folder. You made yeah. a whole cover for it and, and it had the Gilbert Lily and pictures. That. Yeah. I probably have it stashed um, away somewhere special, but it was a good system. It was a good system. It definitely um, served a good purpose, you know, as young kids, especially, it would have been, I think, hard to keep track of all that ourselves. So to have this kind of little designated folder um, going back and forth, I think that was a good system. And we had we had bins, which was big plastic bins, or really, it, it started as just one bin, one bin, yeah, like the like bin. you would put your Christmas decorations in, but instead it would have a baseball mitt and, and sparkly shoes and, and my backpack. sparkly shoes and whatever, and yeah. Um, we we would pack up the bin at on on the transition day and we'd take the boomerang folder and the bin and we'd be set for the other house or whatever. Yep. And yeah. a lot of times we would deliver the bin. You mm-hmm. kids when we you know, our goal was never send you to school. I mean, for the record, 
you're, you sh- the, the children should never be in charge of communicating between the parents. And there, ha- like, and there were times, I don't know if it happened in the other home, but you certainly called me out on more than one occasion when I'd be like, hey, so is dad blah 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 And you would just be like, sounds like a question for dad, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Which was true. I, I was certainly against the idea of being any sort of middleman. I'd say, but, um, Mm -hmm. and we really tried to prevent that from happening. I don't know if we succeeded. I I think you definitely did. That was not ever something I I felt the burden of, of, of being a middleman per se. Or a spy. Spy or or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be damaging and a no-no for sure. Mm -hmm. And we would try to get your gear wherever it needed to be for you. And I used to ask this question. I don't know if you remember this, but maybe once a month over dinner or whatnot, or pillow talk after reading, like, how is life in two homes? What yeah. can we do differently? How's it going? Like we would, would ask, ask the kids. You yeah. Would. You remember that? Yeah. Um, and I remember um, maybe, yeah, especially in those early days, asking that question mm-hmm. quite a bit, I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and it was a good check-in. Um, and I, I mean, often I don't know if there was much that we that we had to to say, but yeah, I, I remember asking you one day, like, how would you describe life in two homes? Do you remember what I said? Uh, absolutely <laughs> complicated. Hmm. That was your response. You're like, it's complicated. And sometimes you don't have the thing that you want to have, but you just figure out how to be without it. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely sometimes like that. Mm -hmm. It can be complicated. And sometimes you don't have the thing that you need. But yeah. like, And and we would try, like if you came and said, hey, I've got this thing tomorrow. I really want my sparkly red shoes. You had a lot of sparkle rainbow going on in those early days. I sure did. And then as you got older and you were more in charge of your own belongings, there were more things that were important that were going with you. And Mm -hmm. to the point where you kind of just started to pack like you were going on a trip every week. Yeah. I mean, definitely like you know, in those early days and and younger, we had duplicates of just about everything, everything, just about everything, you know, like, so the only things we were needing to bring were, were, you know, special things like that, like your baseball or your schoolwork Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be. But yeah, as I got older, there were more things that I didn't have duplicates of just more stuff that I wanted or needed. So it did become more of a packing process. But as I got older, we also did longer stretches. So there was more time to settle in a little bit. And then the, as there was more packing, there was also just more time. So, right. I, I don't know how you felt about this, but transition days were always kind of loaded and hard for all 12 years. Uh, Yeah. I mean, often there was, you know, whether it be like tension or just kind of a general frustration. I feel like that could often be present, like on a transition day, just knowing like, okay, here we go again. (laughs) Yeah. Pack up your life, schlep it out. And I think in the receiving parent, I know for me, I would have gone from a stretch where I didn't cook. I didn't do laundry. I didn't clean. Right. There is this bizarre. Karen, the bachelor. Karen, the bachelorette. right? (laughs) Right. And, and then, Oh, in come the children. And Mm -hmm. so I'm adjusting 
you're adjusting. And there was always just like this adjustment period. And it took a while to really recognize that what, what that's what was going on. I would agree with that for sure. Um, and even once we recognized it, it would still happen, but I think we would give each other a little more space. Yeah. And I would just realize like, it's going to take 24 hours for us to get back into the groove mm-hmm. of this house. Yeah. W- would you, h- how would you describe kind of, hmm, uh, th- not a specific compare contrast of your two homes, but what it's like, t- because obviously your father and I live differently. I think that we're very mm-hmm. aligned in our values and our expectations and our rhythms and routines. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, the vibe of both houses is going to be different. And what was that like uh, for you? Yeah, the vibe, of course, is is definitely uh, different. Um, and I think, I think, like you were saying, like, you know, just taking those 24 hours or whatever, or whatever it might be to just adjust and be like, okay, this is where I am now. And this is what my room looks like for the next week or two. And I'm going to settle in there. And, and this is how things are different or whatever. And just kind of like settling into that. Mm-hmm. Like, of course there's differences, but it's still home. Like they're both home. It's just like a little adjustment period. Yeah. I also remember you went saying like, I love both my homes and I love both my parents, but whenever I'm at one place, I'm missing the other. I'm I'm missing the people of the other or the dog or the cats or my favorite cereal. There's always something to miss. Yeah. And, and you talked about like going from a week to two weeks and to clarify, we did start because you and Patrick were five and seven, um, really young, mm-hmm. still in that attachment part of life. And it was hard for your dad and I to not be with you more regularly. So we did yeah. rotate like every three or four days. Mm-hmm. We tried not to do anything shorter than three days because it just felt like a ping pong. Yeah. <clears throat> going back and forth. And you sometimes would communicate to us like, we need to settle in, which is then we went to a week finally. And I don't even remember when that was maybe I, yeah third or fourth grade that sounds right, about, that right. somewhere around that time and we were definitely doing doing one week at a time for a good while a good say. stretch yeah. and all through middle school and then yeah. of course we had covid in the midst of your childhood so right. that's just a blip <laughs> and i feel like when we came out of covid and you were heading into high school or were in high school then you all requested for even longer stretches two weeks or even a week and a half. Maybe we started with a week and a half. Maybe so. Um, Maybe in the summer. But yeah, I remember, I do remember requesting that for that exact reason of, of at that point, one week didn't quite feel long enough to fall into the rhythm, to settle in, to, to feel at home and get all the stuff that I was packing at this point. Right. I feel like my, my bin kind of continued to grow. That's right. So my bin continued to grow. So to get kind of settled and unpacked, I did, I desired a longer stretch for sure. Yeah. So you could actually just be at home for a while and not feel like you were just a roving traveler. Yes. Packing <laughs> their bags, like a, you know, a business person who travels every week. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that is the hardest thing. If there were, had been a way to not do that, and put that burden on you kids. And there are some families who nest where the children have a home and the parents come and go. Oh, interesting. Oh, you don't know about nesting. I have never thought about that. Yeah. 
um, the, the children stay and the parents, maybe there's a, one other apartment or two other apartments, some other living, and it's the parents who do the shuffling around. Wow. You know, your father and I are terrible roommates. Yeah. So that would not have I, been successful. I can't imagine that that would have, yeah, that that would have worked as, right? as well as what we did do. But that's an interesting thing that I haven't really mm-hmm. ever thought about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you uh, ever in the process and in, in over the years felt embarrassed that you were a child of divorce or shame around that story? No, no. I, I mean, like I, I kind of talked about before, I had a lot of friends um, that were also children of parents who were going through separation or divorce. So um, I didn't necessarily feel like the odd one out. Um, and I, I never really felt embarrassed or shame by it because I mean, you as parents always, you know, didn't, I mean, never gave us that idea that it should be something to be embarrassed by or feel shame about. Like I never, I never had that idea in my head from you or really from anyone else. Like I said, like a lot of my friends were just very supportive and, you know, I I think getting in touch with all those people in my life early, like my teachers and everyone, like it didn't come as a surprise or it didn't feel like it was ever spoken about as something that should be, you know, shameful, shameful. Yeah. Cause we're actually still a pretty fabulous family. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. Come on, that. come on. Okay. Good, good. <laughs> the threats are working. Uh, so as a family, your dad and I showed up a lot together, which was a commitment on our part, but I've never asked whether you noticed it or what it felt like, or what you remember about your co-parent team. Yeah. Um, I think team is the perfect word to use. Like, you know, from day one, I think you made that a priority for sure to be a co-parenting team. And we did do a lot of things together, whether it was birthdays or even holidays, like Christmas was always together at one house or the other, but the four of us were always there. And that felt pretty natural. I'd say like there was definitely an effort there to like make it feel very whole, very family, but like when I think about the the four of us, like as a together, as a whole, like now, like looking back, like that is just weird to me. <laughs> I, I can't really use any other word because the reality that I grew up with was one parent or the other, and it was separate. Like, yes, it was together. And I agree with the co-parenting team. Like it was definitely a team, but it's still obviously a separation. And so to think of like the four family together. It's just like, it's, it's weird to me. Or even to imagine your dad and I all love each other. Yeah. And that married and gross mom. Babies. <laughs> Stop. I know it's like even more gross than if they were married parents. It's like double dose gross. Yeah. And we, we, do you remember Christmas mornings? Like, so if we were having Christmas at like the Lily house where <laughs> I live, we would make you kids we'd wake up and we tell dad to come over. And, and before we even went downstairs or saw the tree or opened any presents, you know, and it would be, I'm sure really early in the morning. And he'd just drive over to the house as soon as we were, we were awake or you would drive over. That's right. To his or house, go, depending on who was hosting, depending on who was hosting that year. And, and we'd wait until we were all as a family to, to have the, the, the Christmas morning cheer. Yeah, that's right. In the early years, we would have grandma and grandpa. Yeah. My parents and and dad's 
father and they would all come up and they would all come up and we would have a larger family, family. ordeal. Yeah. What do you remember about like parent teacher conferences? Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I, I remember like very much co-parenting team with, with all aspects of, of school to um, going to parent teacher conferences together. And then after, you know, we would have a tradition of going to the rattlesnake market and getting chocolate chip cookies or whatever. And that was always the four of us mm-hmm. very much together. We celebrate your good grades and the two of you. And we always wanted to make sure as a family that your parents were, were there every baseball game, yep. choir concert, cross country meet, mm-hmm. side by side. We, we really didn't want to put you in a position where you had to look up in the stands and see us at opposite ends of the world, unable to sit next to each other. That just yeah. seemed unfair. But I don't know, maybe it was more weird for you that we were always together for those parenting moments. I I mean, yeah, I, I don't think I've put a whole ton, a whole bunch of thought towards that specifically because it was just kind of the norm to see you both sitting at the choir concert or, you know, like that's, that's what we, we were accustomed to. And I think seeing you maybe at opposite ends of the stadium, you know, it maybe if that was the norm, I, I would feel the same about it, but, um, but that's not how it was. It was always together. We love our children more than we ever disliked each other. And it was very easy to celebrate you and be together in celebration of you in all those settings. And I'm really proud of that. Yeah, you should be. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, we'll be back with the uh, co-parent report card coming in today from my daughter, Sophia, who has just launched uh, at 18 and off to college and reflecting a little bit on her experience of growing up in a family of divorce, one family across two homes. Stay with us. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Are you thinking about getting divorced? Before you call a lawyer, call the good divorce coach, Karen McNenny, a certified divorce counselor, co-parenting specialist, and mediator. Karen's signature good divorce experience will guide you through your divorce journey from the day you make that difficult decision to the day the decree is signed, all for a predictable fee. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to get divorced and be divorced with less conflict and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. The boroughs are New York City. The burbs are everywhere else. Real estate is the ultimate game of risk and reward. It's the biggest investment most people ever make. Fortunes are made over a lifetime and lost in a day. And we're not playing with Monopoly money. How do you stay ahead? Who's buying? Who's selling? And why? What do they know? We want the truth. You need an edge. Burrows and Burbs is your secret weapon to giving you the insider knowledge and strategies you need to succeed in the high-stakes world of real estate. From Palm Beach to Palm Springs, Manhattan to Malibu, we press the experts to expose the pain, find the deals, and occasionally predict the future. That's Burrows and Burbs, 3 o'clock Eastern, noon Pacific, because everyone can make money in real estate. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. 
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNenny. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Hello, listeners. Thanks for staying with me today. I am Karen McNenny, your Good Divorce Coach. And today I have a total VIP guest joining me, my daughter, Sophia, who is just coming up on 12 years of being uh, a child of divorce, has spent her entire elementary and high school education years living across two homes and has just launched at 18 off to college. Thanks for joining me today, Sophia. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, it's really precious for you to to share your journey. And your journey wasn't just yours alone. It belonged to you and your brother. And we were always grateful that Patrick came along so that you wouldn't have to be on this journey alone. How do you think the divorce has impacted and influenced the relationship you have with your sibling, who, by the way, is just what, 21 months, 18 months? 18 months, almost exactly. You would think I would know. Right. (laughs) Exactly 18 months younger than you. Not the kind of thing you do on purpose, but that's how it went. So, (laughs) Yeah. um, Patrick and I are not only really close in age, but we're just really close. And I, I, I think what has really fostered that relationship is part of that is the fact that we spent more time with each other than we did our respective parents because you know we spent half the time at one house and half the time at the other but we spent 100% of the time together. Oh. Yeah. And I think it was I mean it was never really something that we would talk about a lot. I don't think it was ever like a pressing discussion but if we did have anything that we needed to talk about with we had each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And still today very much have each other. I know he misses you now that you've gone off to college. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And your dad and I both come from big families and have had a sweet and sour relationships with our own siblings, but generally really tight family bonds and Mm -hmm. have really emphasized from a young age with both of you, the importance of caring for your sibling and knowing that that is a, a primary and important relationship. Absolutely. I remember one day I was making dinner and I think I was slicing tomatoes to put on Patrick's sandwich and you stopped me and you're like, Patrick doesn't like tomatoes. Like, what do you mean? When did that happen? And you were really adamant and you were totally correct. And I was horrified because you had more information about your brother than I did as his mom. And that was a little bit of an ouch in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I can imagine. And I'm guessing that Today, the two of you probably have more information about each other than your parents. Do. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. We definitely have a very close tie. Now, something else that certainly can begin to happen in divorced families is that these single adult parents might start dating mm-hmm. um, other individuals. And then there might even be blended families or cohabitation. Mm-hmm. Um Assume you're talking to a stranger. How would you describe that dynamic and that part of your life growing up? I I think both you and dad um, were very private about that part of your life for a long time and and still are in a way. And obviously you're allowed some of that privacy. And I think like we've we've never had a situation where where like step parents or step siblings have necessarily been like uh, a pressing 
question, but obviously there's there's been people in both of your lives that have been very present in both Patrick and our in mm-hmm. our in our lives as well. But for me, that I mean, obviously it's it's interesting in the sense that I'd see, you know, my my friends' families and it definitely didn't look the same. But it was never too weird just because in my mind, I think I think of you each as single adults, you know, like there's that separation. It was never um, the two of you together. It was the two of you apart. So to see you with other people was, wasn't was necessarily super um, upsetting or anything like that. And I, I, I also think you tended to kind of think, uh, keep things very private, especially in, in the beginnings of new relationships until you, you had some idea that maybe this was, this was going to be an important person in your life. And then maybe you'd bring that person into our lives, um, which I think was definitely like a respectful thing to do, especially when we're younger, like kids can, can get attached easily and, and can have very conflicted and confusing feelings about that kind of stuff. I'm so glad that you see that now. That is precisely what we intended to do. In fact, we wrote it into our parenting plan. You had a parenting plan. Oh, yeah. A written parenting plan? Oh, gosh. This is a big reveal. Everyone with children has to have a parenting plan that talks about. Am I allowed to read this written parenting plan? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You could see it. We've never, the great thing right? And a good divorce is you have a parenting plan and it outlines how things will be paid for and what the schedule will be and who gets alternating holidays. And right. I mean, it's, it's very rigorous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one part of our parenting plan did say that no new partner shall be introduced to the children before six months, six months of the relationship being kind of like intact, right? Established. Um, that's the word established. Yeah. So that there wouldn't be a swinging door of people coming in and out of your lives. And mm-hmm. we were so protective of it. But a, a good, a really great parenting plan, or I should say a really good divorce is the one where you never have to refer to your parenting plan again. Mm-hmm. They exist when parents get in high conflict and they start to fight over their children or they can't agree. Right. Obviously things change with age, right? When you were eight, you didn't want a tattoo, but now that you're 18, you do. now, <laughs> And now we don't get to vote. Do whatever you want. The hope is that you will continue to be collaborative, cooperative parents in the same way as if you were under one roof. And if you're in disagreement about something, you go into a private space, you debate it out, and you come back as a unified team. Mm-hmm. And I think your dad and I have been, I mean, if fortunately, and this was a part of our marriage, we were always very unified and very aligned around how to raise our children, expectations of you in the home, our hopes and dreams for you, how we want you to show up in the world and the kind of people that we want you to be to the point where I don't think you and Patrick ever could have like turned us against each other. Like there was no Definitely triangulation. Not. Yeah. No, you very, very, very aligned in so many ways. Um, I would agree with that. It was it was very much a, a team team effort. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember sit down conversations? I mean, even Dad and I, I mean, we will regularly send a message and like, hey, want to circle up on the kids and check in, which might be, I mean, now like work related stuff or college or there might have been consequences and some disciplining going on. And we always wanted that to be consistent across both homes. 
So even if someone had lost the privilege of their phone at one house and that transition, if that were still intact, then that was still going to be honored at the other house as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you definitely seem to align on a lot of those things. But even if you didn't, I feel like there was still a compromise that was able to be met because whatever you were relaying to Patrick and I, it was, it was very much the same page. Oh, and I, I think the world of your father, I think he's a great co-parent. I always have, he's a wonderful influence. I never have had to worry about the care that you were receiving. Um, you know, Fruit Loops, that's another story. But <laughs> <laughs> And it, just in the same way that we had different strengths while we were married, right? Like I might be more academically focused and he might be more recreational focused or, you know, we're a ski family because your dad is a ski fiend. Fiend. <laughs> and making sure those things happen. Like we each came into our strengths and allowed each other to still play to our strengths and then respect that in each other. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, good job. Agreeing with that. (laughs) (laughs) So now that you have landed in one place and you're launching into your adult world, what is the, if you will, the shadow effect or the echo of divorce in your life? If you even have any perspective of that yet? I like you said, I'm I'm fresh into college, a freshman at the University of Montana. So it's all very new still, but I've I've had a, a good month and a half at this point to to be living on campus in the dorms in one place, which has been a bit of a relief to just kind of really nest. Oh, I bet. For what feels like the first time. So now that you're in one place and you're nesting, does that feel significantly different or important or is it even noticeable? Uh, like you said, I'm I'm a freshman at the university and I'm I'm new to college and new to the dorms, but really new to living in one place, which has been wonderful to kind of nest and and really get settled in in a more permanent way you kind of asked about like the the shadow of divorce in my life and the uh, effect of that living on campus and in one place. And I definitely feel it a, a little less because I'm not living at home. And I feel like that's a big part of it is the, the back and forth. And I'm seeing less of both of you now. Right. But you are still seeing but both I'm still of us. Seeing both of you and I'm still visiting both houses that's and right. I'll go home and I've, I've spent a night you know, come home for the weekend at your house, or maybe I'll spend it with dad. So I definitely still get the best of both worlds. And we would want that for you. We've always wanted to be sure that you had strong relationships with each of your parents, because we know that's best for the child and to do our best to not show our irritation or frustrations with the other parent, which happens even in married homes. But Mm-hmm. You know, there's a sensitivity and a lot of people carry anger uh, around the divorce. Yeah. Oh, I've got all sorts of opinions about that. You can listen to the other 40 episodes. <laughs> I think you both have very clearly made an effort to to not put that on to Patrick and I. But obviously, like, I mean, there's been instances where both of you have 
slipped up. And obviously there are going to be times where you are talking about the other parent and you have opinions, like you said, you have whatever. And, but it's never been to any extent that I feel like that's negatively impacted my view of either of either parent. Oh, that's great to hear. Because you are made of both of us. Exactly. So when we insult the other parent, we insult a part of our child. And we just adore you and Patrick and think you are exquisite humans. And that is because of not just your two parents, but everyone who has influenced your life. Mm -hmm. And we would never want to detract from the influence of your other primary parent. So as you look back on your family and now as you move into your adulthood, what would you change? Not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, because, I mean, if there was some alternate universe where you stayed married, I don't think that was ever the path for us. And I think that the way that things worked out was, was for a reason. Obviously, you and dad had to meet. You had to have Patrick and I. From We love. exist because of that. Yes. And I think, I think that our family is better and stronger because of the divorce. Well, okay. I wouldn't change a thing because um, obviously it's... Well, it's a a part of me. It's a part of all of us. It's a part of our story. It's a part of our family. And I think that obviously, ultimately, that that's something that has served a positive purpose and that um, we were able to move away from potential toxicity or, you know, turmoil. And if, if you had stayed in a marriage that wasn't working that we would be in a very different place today obviously so yeah well I agree and I remember the mantra so often is stay for the kids stay for the kids and one day I was just so wound up and angry and upset and unhappy and I was taking it out on you and Patrick and I just stopped in my tracks and I thought I think I need to leave for the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think both your father and I are happier, more vibrant individuals living across two homes and raising our children in the spirit of, of love and cohesiveness. And we are a good family. We are still very much a family. We just renovated our family into a different kind of structure. Absolutely what most of us consider the only way to bring happiness and joy in a a thriving, loving environment to kids. There's, there's more than one way to do it. Uh, I agree. I'm so proud of you, Sophia, and you have just made a beautiful launch into your adult life and absolutely holds you up as a poster child of uh, a good divorce experience. And I, I, of course, I hope it continues for you and I will forever be sorry that you had to pack up and schlep your shit (laughs) (laughs) as often as you did. And I am also relieved that that part of your story is done. 
but that you're still connected to both of us in your own unique way. Yeah, I think it was a small price to pay. Well, listeners, straight from the heart today in The Good Divorce Show, bringing my own divorce story through the eyes of my daughter, Sophia, I could not be more grateful that she has joined me in this discussion. And I hope that you will join me again for our next episode. And remember, everything will be okay in the end. Say it with me, Sophia. And And if if it's it's not not okay, it's it's not not the end. end. Thanks for listening. Do you have questions or thoughts about this week's episode? Let us know by following The Good Divorce Coach on Facebook and Instagram at Good Divorce Coach. And leave a comment. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific or listen anytime wherever you get your podcasts.